Welcome to the After Party with the Sober Kates, where anything goes. Come hang out with us every Thursday, Thursday, while we sip our favorite booze-free beverage and talk candidly about our lives and sobriety and our party girl pasts. And let's get the After Party started. Hello, and welcome, Carrie Benson of the Sober Dietitians to the After Party. Hi, Carrie. Hi, thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. We're very interested in this topic. At least I know I'm very interested in this topic because um, you kind of, your whole journey led you to like releasing books about plant-based recipes and healthier options for non-alcoholic. And I'm, I'm the worst at any mocktail. So having it all in one book, this was so convenient for me instead of like Googling what are the best mocktails. So Let's jump back to your beginning before we get to your beautiful books that you have out that I have in front of me. Um, How did you start your journey, like your career path? Yeah, so um, my journey started way, way back in college. Um, I decided to pursue a uh, degree in neuroscience at the University of Delaware. And I picked that originally because I wanted to go to medical school at the time sounded really cool. It was going to get me on my prereqs. So I was like, this is great. So then I decided I wanted to do some research just to get it on my resume. I landed in this lab that was studying fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Had never heard of that term before, no prior knowledge. And as I was working in the lab over, I ended up being in that lab for six years between my undergraduate degree, my master's degree. And then I, I worked there for some time. Um, I just became so passionate about the topic of drinking during pregnancy because there's, if you go on the internet or social media or even to, you know, having a discussion with a healthcare provider, there's a lot of mixed messages on this topic. And just from having that background, being so immersed in that literature, it made me really passionate in spreading the message that there's no known safe amount of alcohol to consume um, during pregnancy. Um, So that was kind of my first introduction to the field of alcohol. Um, But then I decided I wanted to pursue a career in dietetics. I became very passionate about nutrition just from a personal perspective. And then I wanted to channel my my love for nutrition into a career. So I found dietetics. I ended up going to Tufts in Boston and that's where I met my co-author and co-founder of the Sober Dietitians, Diana LaCalzi. So we connected at Tufts. We were both pursuing master's of science degrees and we became really good friends. Um, We took a lot of the same classes together. So we worked together through that and just developed a really good relationship. And through the course, I guess she had started her, she finished her degree and had started her internship program, which is a requirement to become a registered dietitian. You complete coursework, you do 1200 hours of supervised practice, and then you take a board certification exam. So she was on to the internship phase. I was still in grad school. Um, And she got this opportunity to write a mocktail recipe book aimed at pregnant women. And she asked me to be a part of it. And for me, it was just so cool because I had that background studying FASD. I had that passion for that topic. And to be able to merge my new career path with what I've been studying in the past, I just, I never dreamed it was possible. And it just was like, the most amazing opportunity I could have ever been 
offered and it's opened so many doors for both of us. Um, but that's how we got into mocktails because before, um, you know, drinking for two, that's our, our first mocktail recipe book. We were primarily wine and beer drinkers. And I know for myself personally, I stayed away from cocktails actually because they tend to be higher in sugar. Um, I just didn't tolerate hard liquor as well as I got up in age, you know, post-college. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, I, I didn't even know what a mocktail was. And that was an opportunity for us to learn about mocktails and then to put our own healthy twist on mocktails. That's really awesome. I I have a question, like back to the fetal alcohol um, and just like drinking during pregnancy. So like, what are like the most bogus claims that you have seen um, like misinformation out there? Ooh, I mean bogus. Wow. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of claims that are definitely not founded in science, but a, there, a lot of them are hard to, you know, disprove or to argue against. Like, for example, in a lot of other countries, it's much more acceptable for women to drink during pregnancy or in previous generations, it's been more acceptable to drink during pregnancy. Or, you know, you might have somebody from an older generation telling somebody from a younger generation saying, well, I drink during my pregnancy and nothing happened. But you know, that's not how these things work. There's no law that says if you drink alcohol, that will lead to fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. It's all about, you know, a spectrum of increased risk. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very challenging. And it's, it was interesting because a couple of years ago, um, you know, the CDC put out this statement that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way that said any woman of childbearing age who consumes alcohol should use birth control. Basically, it was something along those lines. Um, and that came off as being very paternalistic and like, don't tell women what to do with their bodies, but which I, I understand and appreciate as a woman. However, maybe that wasn't the best way to deliver the information. I think it's much more powerful to give people the knowledge that they can come to their own conclusions but the reality is, is that probably is the best practice because for, I mean, for a number of reasons, um, but, you know, I think people just don't appreciate the, the risk for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And they don't understand that it's not just fetal alcohol syndrome, which is the most severe manifestation of um, alcohol exposure during pregnancy, but like the name implies, it's a spectrum. So the deficits that you see can be very subtle and are also very easily, um, they overlap with other um, developmental disabilities like ADHD and autism. So, you know, a child may get a misdiagnosis. They may never be diagnosed with anything until they're older. You know, it, it's just, it's so difficult to diagnose as well. It's, I mean, it's- oof, Right, and there's, I'm sure there. there's not a lot of studies of- women that are actually pregnant that are coming forward and saying, yes, I'm drinking, you can um, observe my fetus and then we'll right. see what happens right. down it's, the line, even 10 to 15 years on. It's such right. a, a large spectrum of a study that I'm sure it hasn't been done. Yeah. I mean, there are perspective studies and of course there, you know, there is data that supports, um, you know, from human perspective studies that supports the, recommendation that women should not drink during pregnancy. Um, but yeah, that is definitely a drawback to do to those studies is 
first of all, you can't do a randomized control trial where you, you know, randomly assign people to a you drink during pregnancy group and a you don't drink during pregnancy group because that's not ethical. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not ethical. Um, But for these observational trials, there, you know, there's there's stigma attached to drinking during pregnancy. So there is a potential for underreporting. Women may report drinking less. They may not report drinking. There's also on the flip side, if somebody has a child who ends up with some sort of a developmental disability, they may be more likely to say, oh, you know what, actually, I did actually have a couple of drinks during this time during pregnancy. Um, so it's, it's so tricky to study, but there is a ton of evidence out there that supports that claim. It's very disheartening to see healthcare providers providing mixed information. Um, you know, I think even just a quick search on PubMed would probably change their minds. And it's difficult to tell people to give something up, especially when, you know, somebody's pregnancy journey might be very long. They may be going through struggles with fertility and it's hard to say, you know, you can't drink for an indefinite period of time. Um, But that's kind of where Diana and I come in and, you know, we want to support, uh, we want to support women with the, the knowledge of, you know, what's known about the risks of drinking during pregnancy, and you can take that or leave that. That's for you to decide what to do, you know, with your body and your pregnancy, Um, but also to give women options. So whether it's our mocktail recipes or, you know, other recipes or products, you know, just raising awareness about the options that are available. So when did that book come out? When did that opportunity come up for you? So Drinking for Two, we started working on that in spring of 2018 or 2017, maybe. Might have been 2017. I can't remember when we started working out, but we published it in September of 2019. (laughs) That I'm talking about. Yeah. And during that time, like, was there any sober curiosity between either of you? Not for me. Um, I can't. I can't speak for Diana, um, but definitely not for me. Um, Like I said, at the time, I was mostly drinking, you know, wine at the end of a long day or, you know, hanging out. Part of the time when I was in Boston, I was long distance with my husband, but then we moved in together in Ohio, you know, going out and grabbing, you know, beers on the weekends. Um, I wouldn't say that I ever had a problem with drinking. I would say that over time, there was definitely more of a habit of like, oh, I had a long day, I deserve a glass of wine, or, you know, I deserve a beer, or it's the weekend, we're obviously going to go drinking. It just became more of a habit. And then during the early months of the pandemic, and that's when we started working on our second book, Mocktail Party, that's when I started drinking a little bit more because... I had more time, things were more stressful, more uncertain, we're planning a wedding, is it happening, we're moving, that was, you know, just so much stress, like happy things, scary things, stressful things, so, you know, I was honestly drinking a little bit more, again, not anything that would be considered concerning, and I was, I think, very hyper aware of the fact that I was drinking more because we started to do all this research on the links between alcohol and health. So that was kind of in the back of my mind. I was definitely more conscious of my portion sizes, but I also knew I was like drinking more and I was like, oh, whatever, it's fine. So then I would take, you know, a month long break from alcohol and then go back to it. Um, 
And then in the summer of 2020, I think Diana kind of had a similar, you know, sort of like push and pull of like a little bit of drinking more, a little bit of drinking less. And we decided we wanted to do an alcohol-free challenge just kind of on our own in, I think we started August 2nd of 2021, 2020. 2020, yeah. I'm completely disoriented. Uh, So August of 2020. And we did that month long challenge and Diana never picked up alcohol again. She, that's the, that was her alcohol free date. Um, she stopped drinking at that point. When I started drinking again, it was like very sporadic. And by the time it got to new year's, my husband and I went through a bottle of champagne over the course of like two or three days. So we, you know, did not drink a lot. And then that was it for me. And I've been alcohol-free since. So our sober curious journey, I don't think really started until we were writing mocktail party with COVID happening in the background. Um, And then also just being more in touch with the sober community on social media, connecting with people, learning about the other alcohol-free options that weren't our mocktails. Because again, as like a you know, a big wine and beer drinker. I was like, yeah, mocktails are great. I obviously love drinking my drinks, but I would really miss beer and wine if I stopped drinking alcohol. And then we discovered all these options. We were like, okay, well, I don't really need alcohol anymore. Just don't need it. Now, did either of you, well, I mean, you can only speak for yourself right now, but when you're cutting back, you're doing that month off and then you're sporadically drinking. Did you ever have in the back of your mind, the reason was because the way alcohol made you feel or was it more health-based? Like, were you thinking of like, okay, well, I'm a dietitian. I'm supposed to be focusing on good things to eat. Now, should I turn my attention to what I'm drinking? Yeah, I think all the above. I think initially a lot of it was motivated by, you know, the the knowledge about the relationship between alcohol and health. Um, But as time went on, I've just been continually feeling better and better because some of these changes, you know, you might see within a month, but it may take longer. I mean, some people may not see changes right away when they stop drinking alcohol. Everybody's different. Everybody's different, you know, genetics, nutrition, levels of sleep outside of the context of drinking alcohol. But I think just as time has gone on, I've just felt better and better and better. And you, again, I wasn't drinking really that much beyond what is recommended for alcohol consumption on most days. But I didn't realize that it was still having an effect on, you know, my sleep and my energy levels and my mental clarity until I had given it up for a period of time. So I, you know, now that is the driving factor. It's not even, I mean, the health, the potential health benefits are awesome, but I love being alcohol free because it makes me feel good physically and mentally. Yeah, I think that's a lot. A lot of people, I see a lot of people that do like one month challenges or like sober Octobers for the health perspective and almost resetting your body, giving your body a chance to catch up and your liver a chance to resume functioning on other things. Mm -hmm. And then the long-term effects is after four weeks of not drinking, you do feel the mental clarity. You're less foggy. You, you feel like when you're drinking, you pass out and you sleep well, but you don't realize that even if you sleep through the night, you're not getting that deep REM sleep. Right. So I think a lot of the health benefits do come out after the initial, I don't know, the initial like determination to why they stopped drinking or did that little 
pause in drinking. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. And there's actually, there was a study done in the United Kingdom that looked at participants. I don't know whether they were specifically participating in dry July, but it was definitely some sort of a month-long challenge. And they compared people, they were, I think they were all like moderate heavy drinkers to begin with. And they compared individuals who stopped drinking for the month to those who um, continue to drink. And they found that people who stopped drinking had self-reported improvements in their weight status, they had improvements in their level of insulin resistance, um, decreased cancer growth factors, um, better blood pressure, things like that. But the, the most powerful outcome of that study to me was at six to eight months after the conclusion of that month, the people who stopped drinking continued to drink less or to not drink alcohol. And I just think that's so powerful. And that's such an amazing, and of course, everybody's different for some people you know, doing a month-long challenge can be somewhat problematic, especially if you're a heavy drinker and you could potentially go through withdrawal. It can actually be dangerous. So people should always, you know, talk to a medical professional before engaging in something like that. Um, but for a lot of people, doing a month-long challenge could be beneficial in the long run because it leads to long-term decreases in alcohol that are sustained. So that's, and that's where the real health benefits and probably the, you know, physical and mental benefits come in too, is not just, oh, I stopped drinking for a month and then went back to my normal habits, but I continue to drink less. Yeah, I think with the month-long challenges, that's like the really important part that you're not coming back from this challenge and making up for lost time. Right, right. Well, and that's a challenge too with, you know, nutrition and diets, and that's why, you know, diets don't work, but alcohol is different than, you know, nutrition and diets. It's, it's very easy to kind of make, to kind of put them in the same plane and treat them the same, but they're, they're not. Um, so it's, it's just interesting because there is some debate. There's some people who would argue that for certain types of people that removing something like alcohol completely could lead them to binge later. So I think it's also important for people to be really in tune with their needs and what's beneficial for them. And again, to speak with a healthcare professional to help guide their, you know, decisions about how they decrease their alcohol intake or how alcohol can fit into their lifestyle. Sure. I think definitely on my alcohol free journey, I like you was cutting it out little by little. And then it got to a point where it was like, I was sporadically drinking. Well, I mean, it was still like twice a week and binge drinking, but that was sporadic for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't go like cold turkey right away because I right. mentally knew, just mentally, I knew I couldn't withstand that. And like, I would get the feeling of like, just crawling out of my skin. You know, if I went from like not doing it one day to just stopping completely. So yeah. that's how you had to ease out. And then it was easy to finally say, okay, this is the last day. Yeah. I think that's so interesting too, because everybody has a different journey, you know, for whatever, so many reasons, you know, like their personality, their lifestyle, you know, so many other factors that influence how their alcohol-free journey is going to look. And all of them, like there's no one right, right way to achieve your end goal, um, whether that's, you know, full sobriety or, you know, a level of alcohol intake that's considered safe, you know, whatever your goals are. There's just, there's no right way to achieve that. It's just however works best for you and leads to the outcome that you want and leads you to be your best self. Sure. Um, so, All right. 
Uh, switching back to your books, um, Drinking for Two and The Mocktail Party, tell us like what exactly is like mocktail research and what went, what went into, you know, finding recipes and, you know, really curating both of these books. So for Drinking for Two, we, we took different approaches for both books. For Drinking for Two, we were starting with a blank slate. And again, we were not really cocktail drinkers, so we did a little bit of R&D on, you know, classic cocktails and thinking about what kinds of flavors paired well together. But really the, the driving, um, like the driving goal of our book and how we made our recipes was to make sure that they were as low in added sugar as possible and that they came with nutritional benefits and also that they contained ingredients that could be beneficial for pregnant women and of course safe for pregnant women to consume. So for example, quite a few of our recipes include ginger, which may help alleviate nausea during pregnancy, may help with morning sickness. We use coconut water in a lot of our recipes in both books. We found that served as a really good base for mocktails because first of all, from a nutrition standpoint, it's got electrolytes. So it's very hydrating, which is the opposite of what alcohol does to you. So that's pretty cool. Um, again, in, in pregnancy, that's great because if you are um, having morning sickness and you're, you know, you're losing electrolytes through that, then that's a good way to replenish them. It's kind of a kind of like nature's sports drink, coconut water. Um, but it also has a little bit of natural sugar. So that allows us to use less added sugar in our recipes, you know, whether that's for in most of our recipes, we chose to go with natural sweeteners, particularly agave, just because it's got a very neutral flavor. Um, but, you know, any sort of, you could use any added sugar if you wanted to. They're all the same when it comes to nutrition, sugar, sugar, sugar. So not necessarily healthier. That's just what makes best for our drinks. So the lens for drinking for two, like I was saying, was really the potential benefits for pregnancy, supporting a healthy pregnancy, low in added sugar. When we were doing mocktail party, we had a little bit more freedom because we didn't have to be quite as mindful as we did for drinking for two about ingredients that are safe to use during pregnancy and, you know, all of the notes about, you know, here's a recommendation for how much caffeine you can consume in a day, maybe consider decaf if you've already had your cup of coffee for this drink, things like that. Um, but we just got to be more playful. And we, again, looked at, you know, classic cocktails and then thinking about how can we put fun twists on these classic cocktails. And then we thought about occasions when you would be drinking. So we have a whole section of recipes that you might drink at brunch. Because um, who doesn't love a good drink at brunch? We've got a whole section in the back of our book of recipes that are suited for holidays or, or more seasonal um, one of my favorites from that section is our, our love drunk recipe, which is, um, it's kind of like a spin on a, on a clover club, I think it's called, but it's, it's like raspberry and grape juice and sparkling water, apple cider vinegar, a little bit of lemon juice. It's just, it's so refreshing and delicious. And it, when you muddle the raspberries, it makes the most gorgeous color. It's so perfect for Valentine's day. Um, so that's one of my favorite recipes in mocktail party. We also have a section called Drinks with Benefits, where we used ingredients that may have benefits like matcha, green tea powder. Um, what else? We have a drink that's made with turmeric. Um, and all of our recipes, again, we use the coconut water as a base to cut down on added sugar, but we also wanted to use 
fruits and even sometimes vegetables as much as possible to add um, to add flavor and then to add nutritional value. So vegetables, namely, we use cauliflower in some of our frozen recipes. And that's kind of a popular trick that people have started to do is adding a little bit of frozen cauliflower to their smoothies. So we just said, why not add it to your mocktail? You know, like, why not? Just a small amount. You're not going to taste it. It just adds a little bit of creaminess and then you get additional fiber and nutrients. And um, just to point out again, that this book is all plant-based, mm-hmm. which I think is great because as someone who is vegetarian going vegan, a lot of the cocktails that I see that are extra fancy have like the egg whites in it mm-hmm. or milk or, but this is, I don't even have to like try to figure out a substitute. This is just straightforward. Everything in this book I can use. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So convenient for me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that works for you. Yeah. The, the egg white, I feel like Aquafaba was having a moment when we were writing Drinky for Two. Um, what is that? Aquafaba is just that when you open a can of chickpeas, it's that liquid that it sits in. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you can, yeah, I know it, it looks weird, um, <laughs> but you don't, you don't taste it and it has the same effect. It's really like cool. frothiness. So, yes. Yeah. Because people will use Aquafaba in baking recipes. That's where I first saw, saw it being utilized. Um, but yeah, you can really treat it like egg white. It's pretty fascinating. I don't know who discovered that, but it's pretty genius. We just threw it in a mocktail. (laughs) Why did you guys decide to go with the plant base? So I think we're, well, Diana's, uh, vegan, um, plant-based. She's, you know, that's, that's her, her personal choice as far as her nutrition. Um, I would say I'm mostly plant-based, but I feel better when I do include certain, animal products. Um, that's just what we feel, you know, per, based on our personal experiences, how, you know, it makes us feel what kind of also, again, what the science shows is kind of the best approach to nutrition, um, is to include as many plants in your diet as possible. And being plant-based does not necessarily, you mean you have to be vegan or even vegetarian. You can still include those foods. It just is, it's more like plant centered where the, you know, non-starchy vegetables and fruits and, you know, even starches are really at the center of your plate. And that's the majority of your diet. And then you're sort of including, you know, meat, if you like, or dairy products or eggs more, sporadically kind of as like a supplement but it's not the center of your your dish so it's just sort of like a, a shift in proportions it's not necessarily an elimination of things okay. unless you want it to be I mean that's that's totally fine yeah I think that's great that you have vegetables in some of your drinks it's like another it's like a a parent way to sneak more fruits and veggies in a kid's life it's oh, like yeah. this is like the adult version of sneaking more veggies into your diet (laughs) well yeah and especially during you know pregnancy when you're if you're if somebody's having a hard time just you know getting foods down if they could get in you know a smoothie where they're adding in some you know spinach or cauliflower or you know a mocktail of course then that's just such an easy way to do it if you know whatever you're able to tolerate so for and and then outside of that every you know everybody's busy and sometimes it's just not convenient to, you know, get in your vegetables like you want to. And if you can throw them in a drink or, you know, a smoothie or whatever, then that's, that's awesome. Why not? 
why not? It's not going to hurt to have more vegetables, usually. (laughs) Usually. Yeah. Um, So I, I'm just going to say that I did make the Palnoma. And thank you. I'm like a cocktail virgin. Usually I usually just like mix two things like seltzer water and like Mm. a different flavor of drink. So it's like two drinks in one. And that's my mocktail. This was actually very easy to make and it is delicious. And I'm glad I went with this for like a 91 degree day. Yeah. So refreshing. It's perfect for summer. It's so nice. And again, all of the ingredients are are hydrating as opposed to if you add alcohol, alcohol is a diuretic. So it's going to be dehydrating. So what are some of your other favorites in the, in your books? Definitely what the Palno was one of my favorites. I also love, it's so simple, but the, the mocktail mule, um, we actually, we have two ways to make it the way that we made it in, um, mocktail party it's just ginger flavored kombucha lime juice and seltzer water so it couldn't be easier but it's so delicious and refreshing um and i I love kombucha and kombucha is a a great option for people that are looking for something that's alcohol free um and maybe you know if you don't like beer or wine or something it's just a good alternative option it's got a little bit of like a bite to it so like a little bit of an edge not necessarily comparable to alcohol, but it's just, it's, it's complex. So it's, it's fun right. to work with and build mocktails off of, or even just to drink on its own. Um, I love that love drunk recipe that I was talking about. Let me see what else. I mean, the, the mock, there's so many good, like go-tos, like the macarita is so fun to make and um, you can make it a big batch. I actually went to a bachelorette party in May, I made a big batch of the macaritas, and then some people added regular tequila to theirs, and then I actually brought along an alcohol-free tequila, and some of the girls tried it with that, so that was really fun to, to play around with. Yeah, I mean, there's literally so many recipes in here. I'm How long did it take you guys to write this book, or did you kind of piggyback off of the drinking for two, like use a lot of the same recipes that are comparable, and then change some of the recipes and then add other recipes we were definitely able it was definitely a lot easier the second time around because we sort of had templates for drinks and knew what worked and what ingredients would be you know would work well together we did have recipes that we carried over or were inspired by drinking for two a lot of these the majority of them are original recipes though um it just i don't know i guess the creativity juices were flowing we we were able to come up with the recipes pretty quickly but yeah it was definitely a lot easier than drinking for two and it definitely was not you know every recipe was a hit we had plenty of recipes (laughs) that were that just did not turn out the way that we wanted them to either they they weren't up to snuff or they just were not good I think (laughs) Diane and I were talking about it recently and we had like a birthday cake mocktini we were trying to make that was one that just failed epically we tried to do, I had played around with um, trying to do a Mai Tai for drinking for two and trying to get that almond flavor in there was just, because I, I tried like almond milk and stuff was like curdling and then I tried almond butter and that like didn't work because it wasn't a creamy drink. It just, it was, it was no bueno. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So you guys both like personally tested all these recipes? Oh yeah. We had a, we had a system. So we would we wrote all the recipes out um, 
and then we divvied them up and we would test our half of the recipes and then swap and then test the other half of the recipes. And then we would just keep going and testing back and forth. Every time we made adjustments, we would test on other people. Um, so, I mean, we extensively tested these recipes and then all of our recipes got a, a final retest when we were doing the photography. And even after we did the photography, we were like still making adjustments and our publisher was like, we have to, you need to stop. You can't keep tweaking these recipes. So <laughs> we had to stop at some point. But the nice thing about, you know, publishing these books is like, we take feedback from people very seriously and we continue to make our drinks. And if we feel like there's adjustments that need to be made, we can actually update them. So that's awesome too. So it's, it's an iterative process. That's amazing. Yeah, there's, um, it I sounds can't, like a lot of fun too. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I can't even imagine like half of these, like the chocolate mousse martini, like sampling those. Oh, the peanut butter cup martini. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a good one. Um, so, so you had said that you weren't really, you know, when you were still drinking, you weren't really like a cocktail person. Mm -hmm. um, so now, like, have you have you found besides the mocktails, have you found any like? Um, NA beers that you really like or alcohol-free or de-alcoholized wine? Yeah, I, there's so many alcohol-free beers that I love. I mean, you should see the inside of my fridge right now. It's, <laughs> it's loaded because I went to Total Wine this past weekend. And oh, I, get, I heard that's the place to go. Yeah, so. I have a lot of stuff. And we also get a lot of stuff from Better Roads. It's a, it's a great option if you don't have something like Total Wine nearby. Um, but I, oh God, so many. I really like the Syria Indie Wave, um, Groovy. You can't go wrong. My favorite from them is their Pale Ale, but I'm really interested to try their Sour sour Vice. Anything mm. from Athletic is awesome. Yeah. And I've noticed that quite a few bars near me carry the Free Wave IPA from Athletic Brewing, which is super fun. And that's a, a delicious beer. Yeah, I've um, been drinking that all summer. Yeah, it's so good. The dogfish had um, their uh, lemon quest, delicious. It's so good. I was really shocked. I was worried it was going to be too sweet with the monk fruit extract in it, but it's really, really good. My husband liked it too. Um, and my sister liked it, and she's not even a beer drinker. For dealkalized wine, hands down, naughty AF. They are the best. It's just, it's so good. I served it at my wedding. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's sparkling Chardonnay, so I don't know if it's, you know, to a, you know, a, somebody who has a really good palate for, for wine, if it's exactly like champagne, I, I couldn't tell you, but for, for my palate, it was pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, so I loved it. My, my guests loved it because I, I didn't have a dry wedding, but um, a lot of people enjoyed trying some of the alcohol-free options that I offered and they were just blown away by how many there are. And it's just, it's so cool. You know, before I started my sober curious journey, I really thought all that was out there was, you know, like Odules and then, you know, a limited selection of alcohol-free wines that I tried a couple times was like, no, this is not going to work for me. But the, I've just, I feel like I've had like an awakening over the past you know, since last, I guess since last August or September for what's available. And it just, with all those other options, there's just no need to drink alcohol, at least for me. 
um, you know, I have something in hand that I enjoy, it tastes good, and then I don't feel crappy the next day. I can I can drive home. I love being able to not Uber places. You know, you just drive and then drive home. It's great. Save money on the Uber. Definitely not saving money on, you know, parking? alcohol. Because well, oh. <laughs> no, that's that's true. Yeah, not saving money on parking in Philly. That's for sure. But <laughs> I'm not saving money on alcohol-free options either because I sure spend a lot of money on that. But at least I'm saving money on the Ubers. Yeah, that's a whole different <laughs> topic. Like financials. They didn't turn around once we got sober, so we won't even <laughs> talk about that. It does for some people. Yeah. Not so much for me, but, you know, that's fine. You find somewhere else to put it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. All so right. do you guys have any plans for a third book coming out or any, like, certain niches you want to fulfill with another mocktail book? No, not not right now. I mean, I think we'd definitely be open to it. Um, I think for... And this definitely happened after drinking for two, where I had a period of time where I was like, I couldn't possibly come up with any more recipes. But then, you know, you give it some time. And then, of course, you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, there's so many more recipes. And I was we were saying before we hopped on the podcast, I've been really enjoying trying all of the alcohol free, you know, spirits and liquors and aperitifs and just the options that are available. I made a, a mocktail tonight with um a brand called Wilderton. I use their earthen with the sparkling watermelon juice from Trader Joe's, a little bit of fresh mint and lime juice. And it was delicious. So that's again, opening like a whole other door, uh, right. you know, exploring cocktails with alcohol free spirits. Exactly. Yeah. And of course you can add any sort of alcohol free spirits to our mocktail recipes, but it's just like, it's, inspiring me to do even more more recipes and just play around it's it's fun it's just it's endless there's just so many options that's what's just so cool about it is like the options do not end right it's the same with the alcohol world like they're constantly coming up with new cocktails Mm -hmm. new beers new way to brew beer like it's never going to end as long as there's an infinite amount of flavors Mm -hmm. and I think now it's like people are more emboldened to use flavors that they normally wouldn't in yeah. in beverages but it's it's working so i don't yeah. see why not it it couldn't happen for mocktails to have, continue on their boom yeah and i think we're really yeah we're really lucky i think in the last what i'd say what two years that it's just really you know becoming more mainstream and exploding so definitely yeah i mean i think i don't even know if i would have considered going alcohol free before I found out about all of these options. I mean, I probably wouldn't have, but so I was saying before about, you know, relying so heavily on red wine and beer, if there wasn't a good alternative, I'd be like, well, you know, why, why would I stop drinking? I enjoy the taste of these things. I still want to include them. So the fact that I can enjoy the taste without any of the negative ramifications, is just like so cool. So it's, I don't know. It's just so serendipitous, like everything that's happened in the past few years. And I just hope it continues to normalize not drinking because, you know, people don't drink for so many reasons. That's been true for ever. And I hope that there becomes more awareness of these options. They become more readily available so that people feel more included and, um, you know, not excluded. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I'm I'm open to a whole new world now, and I'm going to be trying these the rest of the summer. And your book 
by the way, is gorgeous. I'm showing you like you haven't seen it before. <laughs> it's just, it it's fun beautiful. to look at the shininess. Yes, I, that's what I do. I just lean the book back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it's I actually have it on display in my kitchen. Like that's my part. My husband can have his bar cart with his alcohol in it. And I have my little display with my mocktail party and yeah. a few little decorations. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you and Diana for doing this. Like it's something that I think a lot of people that are alcohol free are going to appreciate because it is normalizing it. It is taking away further the stigma of not drinking. Mm -hmm. So I know I appreciate that very much. Awesome. Um, yeah. Love hearing that. Thank you for really coming on our show. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It was great to speak with you. Thank you. Um, if you want to let our listeners know where they can find you. So you can find us at thesoberdietitians.com. We're also on Instagram at thesoberdietitians, and that's dietitian with a T, not with a C. Um, and we're also on TikTok, for better or for worse. <laughs> and our both of our books, um, Mocktail Party and Drinking for Two, are available at most major book retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, indie bookstores, pretty much anywhere books are sold, Target, Walmart. Incredible. Amazing. Do people usually spell dietitians with a C? People often do, yes, but <laughs> yeah. I'm like trying to think like it's, what it's I've done that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But oh, the, okay. I don't know. I don't know. There's no like correct spelling, but I guess registered dietitians prefer that it's with a T for whatever reason. I don't know how that all got started, but now it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> now it's a thing. Okay. Well, now we know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for coming up on our show. And I mean, promoting everything. We'll, we'll post a copy of the book again. I know it's on our feed, but everyone mm -hmm. should go out and get this book. Yes. yes. Thanks, Thanks so much. Carrie. Thanks guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining the After Party brought to you by The Sober Cates. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep the After Party going, follow us on Instagram at The Sober Cates.